Hi guys, this is Chris with the Theotech Podcast. We're going to be starting a series that's focused on the theology of technology. That's right, we're actually going to live into our name, Theotech, by talking about the theology of technology. But instead of just diving into a bunch of interviews with different people, we wanted to set the stage. Both Natasha and I, the founders of Theotech, we wanted to ask the question, why theology of technology? And that's what we're going to talk about today. topic on why theology of technology. Um, to me, I know that sometimes, you know, being not a super techie sort, I just kind of have grown up with it. I don't really know what you mean sometimes when you say theology of technology. So I figured it would be good to just kind of have an introductory sort of, hey, if you're new to the Theotech podcast, start here. Start with what is what is theology of technology and why is it important? And why do you think, like, why do you, why do you feel like this is such an important topic for us to, to discuss and to really um, engage with now. So I wish I was more articulate that I could have prepared like four bullet points of the big why. We did iterate on different value propositions for the podcast, which we'll share separately. Um, but I can just share with you maybe my story of why I started getting interested in the theology of technology and then go from there. You know, as a kid, uh, the first exposure that I had to computers was actually my dad. He was a computer scientist science grad and he uh, had a laptop that I could play with even when I was as young as like I think five years old there's a picture of me just kind of pounding the keyboard Uh, and what always captivated me about computers was that it was responsive I could do stuff and it would change things and I could see the difference that it made and it made me so excited that I could control this thing and and make it better um, and do things with it that are useful so obviously um I didn't really know how to program as a five-year-old. I'm not, I'm not a genius like that. But later, coming to middle school, there were like graphing calculators. I don't know if kids still need that these days, but we had to buy the TI-83 Plus graphing calculator, and there's mm-hmm. a way to program that. So in middle school, I was programming that graphing calculator to help me do my math homework so I didn't have to do the stupid operational stuff, like doing the quadratic equation. I could just put in the numbers and get the answer out, those kinds of things. And there was a way that we could transfer programs with between friends Uh, using a cable and so I would share my program with the kids in my school that kind of thing and just like being able to uh, make stuff that's actually useful that I don't have to keep putting effort into to keep like oh okay I'll help you I'll help you I'll help you I can just do it one time and it can help a lot of people I really like that aspect of the leverage of programming and technology so from there I got to take a class in HTML and the web programming back in the 90s where it was like, I think tripod.com was a big deal and Angel Fire and all these GeoCities, Geocities yeah. all these like kind of random websites that weren't very good. But it was cool because it was basically like, if you think it's like a canvas, right? Like you can just like make stuff and put it out there on the internet. People can see it. They don't have to print it out. And it was so, it was a great medium for creativity, even though it was in the beginning days, it was very ugly and not very useful. And I would compete with a friend of mine to see who could do the coolest effects on their website. And I remember that we were trying to hide our code from each other because in the browser you can just click view source and see the code that makes the page so we were doing crazy things to obfuscate our code which means that when you look at it it doesn't make sense you can't actually read it Uh, and he had this cool effect where he was able to make it so as you move your mouse across the page the the scroll bar would change colors like rainbow colors constantly and I was like oh how did he do that and so I had to figure out how to do it too and we were just competing with each other and made us learn random stuff that wasn't useful but cool anyway this is your these are random stories but I think that for me, it was always that impulse of, um, you know, can I make something that's going to help a lot of people without me having to keep, like, 
doing the actual work of helping them. Like I can do it once and it helps a lot of people. Uh, that's what I loved about programming and also what I love about technology is that it scales. There's leverage there. Uh, and so what happened was that also in my own faith journey, because that's just kind of the technical side. I don't bifurcate the two, but um, in my own faith journey, college is really a big experience for me. I've given other talks about that and how the Lord really impacted my life and healed me a lot of insecurities through the gospel, which I still fight the insecurities today, but it definitely shifted the course of my life. And that was the point where I think even before that in middle school, I already had the sense of like, well, I'm a Christian. So like I kind of, there's a desire I have for my friends to experience something like that too, even though I didn't really understand my faith yet. And then in high school, it, it was the same way, more because I would encounter how broken people's lives are in high school, including my own. But that's where you get more exposed to kids who are doing drugs or kids who are struggling with just various kinds of things, mental health issues and whatnot. And you just feel how, you start to feel the weight of how heavy life is mm-hmm. um, and in high school. And so there's this, 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 this desire started to emerge where it's like, man, if I really believe that Jesus is the most precious person and most precious treasure in all, all of life that I could possibly have, if I really believe that's true, I may not always experience it that way, but if I believe it's true, then this this technology stuff, which I love so much, it has to somehow like be connected to that purpose of helping people connect with Jesus somehow. I just had that that sense. That's the most loving thing to do for all the enjoyment and power of technology. That was more. Uh, that was what would make it actually meaningful if um, if it could connect with faith in that way. So I had that desire kind of in high school and then in college, it also kind of came up too and more explicitly because I was actually becoming a better programmer in college, taking the real you know courses and everything like that, having to do homework and solve problems with our projects and everything like that. So that's where this integration of technology and theology began for me. And it didn't begin necessarily from an intellectual standpoint, the way that we talk about it a lot today because technology has taken over society to a degree that everybody's talking about it. It really began from a personal level where... I love tech. I always loved it. And I love Jesus. And in order for tech to really be like, in order for me to be able to serve God with my gifts, in order for me to serve Jesus with technology, it has to be integrated somehow. They can't just be like, I'm going to just make a lot of money working for Amazon and doing cool stuff that I really enjoy. And then on church, I'll just give money on Sunday. Mm. And I'll just like, I'll help with the tech ministry at church. Cool. Like that is very dissatisfying for me. Um, and it feels like an unexamined life and it feels like one that's not very, uh, integrated. So that's, I don't mean all of that when I say theology or technology, but that's kind of the story for how I ended up doing what I am doing now. Mm. And yeah. Yeah. So it really kind of started, it was a journey for you from when you were younger to just like, oh, this is so cool. And then as you grew in your faith and as you grew as a technologist, it really became something where like, oh, you know, these two parts of my life are not separate. They, there's a way where it can actually cohere into, you know, my, myself. Yeah. And so I don't know if this is how other people feel, but I always had a desire for all the parts of my life to be integrated. Um, whether it's having fun, um, or whether it's working or whether it's like hanging out with friends like I I have this like impulse towards connection. Like I'm trying to connect all the dots all the time. So I realize not everybody's like that. And, but what happens for me is that if things are disintegrated or like kind of disconnected, I forget why. Mm-hmm. And I forget why I'm doing what I'm doing. And then I get kind of demotivated. Uh, and so like, you know, like Ecclesiastes in the Bible, 
basically the writer has already achieved everything. He's already at the top of society. He's a ruler, the king. He has all wealth. He has all wisdom, all knowledge, and he says it's all vanity. And uh, and I think that even when I was in high school and middle school, I kind of started to feel that, right? Like good grades are really important, really important, really important. But at the end of the day, it's like, oh, it's kind of meaningless still. Um, and like, you know, so that's, I think, where the impulse for me for integration or connecting the dots came from and why I'm kind of dissatisfied with letting things just stay compartmentalized. Hmm. So if you were to kind of give like a one to two sentence definition of what theology of technology is, what would it be? Um, so theology in its root would be the study of God uh, or the knowledge of God. Um, and so if we believe that God is the creator of everything, then uh, knowing God is basically the aim of theology through the things that God has done and through how the ways that God has revealed God's self to us uh, and through what God created. And then technology is a very specific part of God's creation. So technology is something that is made by people in general, human beings, for a purpose, to serve some end. So oftentimes you hear a distinction between technology and uh, humanities which was the big distinction that Steve Jobs made, the founder of Apple. And he wanted to integrate the two because the humanities are things like the arts that you do as ends in themselves. You're not trying to achieve some additional goal by making the thing. It's not a tool. It is an, an end in itself, a human artifact, a human creation as an end in itself. Technology, you make technology in order to serve some other benefit. So we invented smartphones, for example, not as an end in itself, as a work of art, but as a useful tool to help connect us with other human beings across the globe on the network, on you know the 5G networks that are now emerging and everything like that. So a lot of life is technology when you view it that way. Um, everything that you're using to achieve a goal is a form of technology. And if even the one thing that you could say that God created as technology is it's like human language that was given to human beings in the very beginning, that was a technology to be able to communicate, to form meaning in another person's mind, to reconstruct an idea in another person's mind, and for their words to be able to construct meaning in mind. So that is um, an example of technology that's maybe not explicitly human-created from the beginning, but obviously language is always evolving. We change language all the time, so we're, we're creating new technology of our language even today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what, when you put the two together, what do you get? You get the theology of technology. And so it's um, kind of a feedback loop or a dialectic, which is that... Um, one is that our knowledge of who God is and what God desires and what God's doing in the world informs our views about technology, both what it's for, what's good, what's bad, you know, um, how it reflects to us what it means to be human, all those other questions. And then our actual technology that we're using day to day and that we're inventing for the future and all these things like that in the way that they've been used in history, that also informs our understanding of who God is, what God is doing, and how God is actually using technology to fulfill what the scriptures prophesy and say God's doing in the world. Mm. So there's a back and forth feedback loop there. And I intentionally like the word theology because it is in the realms of thinking and ideas. Um, It is trying to understand something. It's not simply about faith. It's not simply about doing stuff. It's not simply about how we feel or some sort of spirituality connection. It is about trying to understand. It's about knowledge of God's design for technology and so how we can live into that Mm -hmm. and fulfill what God wants with it. The other interesting part from all of our discussions that we've had just working 
with technology and uh, just brainstorming about the Theotech podcast was the idea of, um, I think you kind of touched on this, where we want to be able to use technology in a way that is um, pleasing to God. And we want to be able to use it um, and understand and be intentional with how we are using it and how it's also shaping us. Um, and you kind of touched on on this as being like theology of technology is, well, technology is shaping us. Theology is us understanding God. And the theology of technology is kind of that intersection where we're seeing um, how is God at work with this technology? How can I use this work in a way that is glorifying to God? Yeah. Um, and so we're trying to touch on that and give people um, maybe a different understanding of how they can use technology. Sometimes they feel like, uh, just technology is just terrible and it's causing all these problems and it's going to be the end of the world. Um, and we want to kind of speak into that. Is that. Would that be accurate? Well, I think that that's the most relevant thing for most people, mm-hmm. especially if you're not a technologist. You know it's affecting your life. You know it's changing how you do things and changing your relationships, changing your attention personally and even your spirituality. And that's crazy. It's kind of scary to experience that and feel like it's out of control. And that you're not really in control of the tech. The tech's controlling you. And for a lot of people, you may not even realize you're being controlled by the mm. tech. Uh, and that's even scarier. And and I think there's also tech insecurity for people who feel like, you know, even people in the industry, you might feel like you have to keep up all the time because it's changing so fast, way faster than other things that are happening in society. Technology is, the, the I think, the place where the fastest iterations are happening. Mm. And so you're overwhelmed, uh, no matter how expert you are, that you are always falling behind. Uh, and and if you're not expert, you might get to the point where you're like, I'm so behind, I don't even care, I'm not even going to try to keep up anymore. Mm. right? And so that's another element of this conversation too, which is there are things that are constant, I think, which don't change, despite the fast iterations of technology. And we're hoping to be able to uncover those so that people have things they can hold on to. And then the things that are changing fast, some of those things we do have to keep up with and learn to do our jobs, to serve people, uh, to reach people, etc. cetera. Um, but when you have the fundamentals kind of mastered and you know that things aren't changing, you can be a lot more intentional about it and what you choose to stay up to date with and what you choose not to and be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Off, the top, off the top of your head, what would you say are some of those constants? Um, well, I'm going to refer to more like Jeff Bezos here because that was the way he looked at his business. Um, when he saw that the internet was growing at, I forgot, like 10,000% year over year, he knew he had to get on the bandwagon. But what he realized about retail and selling goods is that there's three things that customers really always want and it will never change. There He called them the invariants. And those three things, if I remember correctly, were price. Customers never want to pay a higher price for something that they could get for a lower price. Selection, customers rather have a lot of options available rather than having no options. And convenience, customers would never want to wait like a month to get something when they could get it in a day. So when he had those three invariants nailed down, then the business could basically adapt, right? The internet was the big trend that he was riding, mm. but there's so many other things that changed in the course of five years. And those things you have to keep up with, but you never have to change on those three fundamental things. And that makes for a sound business because you're always pursuing the thing that's not a fad, Unless you want to be in the business of fads, which you could do. You could be a fad creator, mm-hmm. in a sense, because then you're selling status, um, which doesn't change. People always want status. But the way they get it changes all the time. Mm. So in Bezos's case, he was going to focus on those three fundamentals in any way that you could improve 
price, selection, and convenience for customers um, is always going to be a win, basically. And that makes it so that he can look at technology with a clearer view rather than getting distracted by a new, new shiny object syndrome, quote unquote, um, focused on the things that are going to deliver results in those three areas. So that's in retail. If you're running a retail business, it's now, you know, you've seen the impact of that, the results of that kind of focus in the way that Amazon's grown. And I think that um, in, on this podcast, I don't have all the answers, but I'm hoping that together we'll figure out these things both in our own personal lives, like what's unchanging in our own lives and our own relationships with one another and with technology and in uh, you know, community gatherings like churches and things like that. What really is the invariant? Because if you can master the invariant, then you can get rid of a lot of the forms that have accumulated over the past you know, three decades of our lifetimes or five decades, let's say. Um, and you can just forget about them because they don't work anymore. But you have the invariants and you can press into those and be much more effective. And uh, also at, at, in the broader society at large, everybody today is very afraid of what AI is going to do. And the people who are afraid aren't really the people who are ignorant of it. It's actually the people who have the power are very mm-hmm. afraid. We had Google CEO say that he thought facial recognition needs to be very, needs to be, moratorium has to be placed on facial recognition because it's too powerful and too scary what you can do with it today. Mm-hmm. And that's the CEO of Google, right? Um, and you have various world leaders, tech company leaders who are all talking about how concerned they are with the power of AI. Uh, and so there's there's other bigger questions too as a society that we need to think about um, so that we can figure out how to use it well and effectively. And keep in mind that with AI, kind of like with nuclear weapons, you can't really control it once people have access to the raw materials. And in this case, the raw material isn't uranium, it's data. Mm-hmm. And data is just everywhere. You can't stop you can't stop anybody from getting the data mm-hmm. and the algorithms are everywhere. The computing is everywhere. That's a huge question. And uh, so anyway, that's another example of like, if we can find the invariance, if we can find the things that you know don't change, we might be able to find a way forward in the ways that AI is going to be disrupting our society. So if you were to kind of summarize why theology of technology is important, what would you, what would you want the takeaway to be for any of our listeners? I think on a personal level, um, if our listeners, if you are able to come away from listening to the podcast, just feeling smarter, like, okay, I, I understand how this works now. Like we've, de- we've demystified the technology. It seems so magical and just so confusing that how it could possibly work. We don't understand it. It's just controlling our lives and it's scary. I hope that listening to the podcast on a regular basis means that you come away like feeling very informed, knowledgeable about it and more in control and more intentional. It's like, okay, yeah, this is, I can see how we can use this thing in some good ways. I can see the negative side effects and um, maybe there's one action step I can take so I can live a more intentional life with the technology that is surrounding me. That's at the personal level. Um, I also, I'm also hoping at a community level that we'll have a a shared language uh, that lets us kind of invent, create, you know, explore new ideas together and it helps uh, Christians and technology uh, and Christians more broadly to be at the forefront of this field, not just in a way that like, oh, I'm a famous professor who publishes great papers and I'm a Christian, that's great. But I'm talking about more of the mainstream. Like I want to kind of like lift the tide of all of our boats kind of thing for Mm -hmm. Christians at large, where we actually are very intelligent about technology uh, not in a boastful way, but in a way that's very humble, in a way that's trying to serve, in a way that's seeking the good of everyone, and in a way that we see how it connects with our faith. We see that God's kingdom actually is being advanced through technology, and there is also an enemy that's actively using it for wicked purposes, 
and we know what we have to do, what our responsibilities are to use it for the kingdom, um, believing that God's going to redeem everything. Mm. So I'm hoping to raise the bar on our general Christian intelligence about technology uh, so that we can be more faithful in our use of it. And then, so for example, if you ever get frustrated with people who when you talk about technological stuff with them, they just kind of like their eyes glaze over and they kind of ignore you or they ask you a very ignorant question. I hope that what we talk about on this podcast is like so helpful for you that you know how to talk with those people as well, mm-hmm. right? That you feel informed and you, you have a way to speak in their language. And the flip side of that is that if you're a Christian and you're trying to talk to really uh, technical people who know this stuff in and out, and a lot of the tech industry is, is very non-spiritual, it's very atheistic um, or secular, I'm hoping that by listening to the podcast, you also feel equipped to talk intelligently about your faith with people in the tech industry mm. because there's so many ways that God, God's work and the way that God made the world is revealed in tech, actually, that uh, it just connects immediately. And we, we'll go into some of these in other episodes of the podcast. But by equipping uh, Christians with that language and with those ideas, I think that they're going to be more effective apologists for their faith and more effective evangelists, in a sense, um, because now they're speaking the language of the people. They're not using Christianese. If we talk about dependency injection and how that is like faith, a techie will understand you, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and by beginning with that, instead of beginning with like, oh, everybody just needs Jesus, the door is actually open to have a real conversation because they know what dependency injection means in their code and why it's important. So that's the second kind of benefit for listening to the podcast. And then I think the third one is that we are just a witness. We're just a witness to what God's doing. And so I want the Theotech podcast to become the go-to destination for theology of technology. Mm. It's the place that people think of when they're like, oh, you know, some tech news is happening. I wonder what the theology of technology would say about that, right? Uh, or, you know, God's doing this massive work in the world that maybe is hidden to most of most of us. Like, we're not aware of it. But because we're sharing the news here, like, we know and we see a bigger pattern in what God's doing to bring about the fulfillment of the scriptures. So that's what this podcast hopefully will become too, is a witness to that. So I will summarize it in those three ways. Personally, you should feel like you're much more intentional with your tech. Technology is demystified. You're more in control, so you can use it the way that you wish. Um, communally, we're going to become uh, more intelligent and effective in how we talk about technology and the gospel and how we speak both to the tech industry as well as to people who are not tech literate. And then thirdly, we're going to be just part of a bigger story. We're going to see, we're going to hear We're going to see our place in the bigger story of what God's doing with technology. Sounds good. I did have another question, which is like if you had a concrete example where theology of technology makes a difference um, and another example where a lack of theology of technology made a difference. Mm. So how did theology of technology make a difference versus how when you don't have it? What happens? What happens when you don't have it? I'm going to make up examples help maybe they'll be helpful one concrete example of what we actually did so we built an app called ceaseless which was designed for prayer um, but it had certain design principles that were informed by theology of technology mm-hmm. so one example is theology we believe from first timothy 2 god desires uh, christians to pray for all people that's a theological statement about what god wants right? Uh, and about the nature of prayer, that it is for others. And uh, so, but, but most apps in the world today begin perhaps with human-centered design, which is how do we help the user to achieve their task? In this case, if you take a human-centered design approach, 
you would build a prayer app that would try to probably take away distractions and help people remember all the people that ask them to pray for them, you know, prayer list management, prayer request sharing. Mm -hmm. Those are the kinds of features that you would choose to build taking a human-centered design approach. And without a theology of technology, you might end up just recreating basically a WhatsApp or a Facebook that's basically for Christians, Mm. (laughs) right? Like that's basically, it's just a messaging app. Mm -hmm. That's it. Share prayer requests with each other. And then maybe send an emoji or a GIF. It's like, pray for you. Um, That's an uninformed theology of technology, and it results in an imitation. Mm. And an imitation that really there's no reason to have, because Facebook and WhatsApp are really good at what they do. Might as well use the existing technology. And that way you don't end up in a Christian bubble. Yeah, a Christian silo. You end up staying connected to the rest of society. So that's where lack of theology of technology results in a product that's not really serving probably what God actually desires and helping Christians do more of what God wants them to do is just kind of reinforcing the existing silos example Uh, whereas if you take a little bit of theology of technology think about what God wants and kind of our human nature is very selfish by nature and so if we can use technology to invert that to help us do what we want but our flesh fights against which is Mm -hmm. to actually think about other people to remember other people and not just the ones who are nice to us, not just the ones that we like that are always present in our life, but um, all the relationships that God has entrusted to us. Mm -hmm. What if technology can help Christians to do more of that, more of what God wants? What if your phone told you to pray for your enemy? What if your phone told you to pray for your enemy? Exactly. Well, it's exactly what Jesus taught. Pray for those who persecute you. Mm -hmm. So now technology is helping you to do what Jesus taught you to do, not what your human inclination is just to kind of stay with your bubble. That's powerful. That's theology of technology making a huge difference uh, in product design. And ultimately, these products change people's lives. CSIS is, I think, being used by a couple thousand people regularly. And when we think about that, these thousands of people, there's no way in CSIS to submit a prayer request that you would be prayed for by others. So these thousands of people are not just like, you know, like on Twitter, like, ah, I'm so frustrated with this, like, pray for me or whatever like that. They're not asking for prayer. These thousands of people are priests intercessors they're praying for other people in their lives Mm -hmm. that's and that's just spectacular um and so that's uh yeah that's an example i I think that of how for if you're a creator of technology this is this is going to make a big difference for you and even if you don't create technology if you just use it Mm -hmm. that's using technology is being a creator of technology because you're always building stuff on top of it Right. right whether you can code or not and so this matters to you too um, in, in how you choose to use Instagram, for example, how you choose to use Facebook and Instagram and, and Messenger apps. What kind of content are you going to put on there? In what ways? Towards what goals? Right? And, uh, and given the fact that, like, you know, different generations are on different platforms, what does that mean for how you're choosing to engage? There's just so much more that you could say, basically, um, that the theology of technology can make you help, help you make informed choices that are intentional for what God's called you to do, Mm. even if you're not a tech creator. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I want to ask you a question too then, which is what gets you excited about the Theotech podcast and having this discussion, especially since you're not a coder? Yeah. Why are you interested in this conversation? That's a good question. Um, I think that maybe it is just my generation. You know, we grew up with technology, but we're not exactly like, I don't think we would be considered the digital native type, like the later generations where they basically were born with a smartphone in their hand. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for us, we've seen 
massive changes like where it went from those commodore 64 to dial up internet and then now it's just like you're just constantly connected with a little tiny computer in your pocket um so to me i think just kind of having observed so much technological change um and being versed enough to to understand um where we were and where kind of where we're going um and i've for, for myself, I've tried to be intentional with how I use technology. Um, I, I am generally pretty critical about like trying to like hop on another platform. I don't, I'm not one of those early adopter types. Mm. So maybe for me, maybe I'm kind of representative on this podcast or in our production of this podcast. Maybe I'm a little bit more representative of the laggards, the people who are kind of like very cynical and very wary about what this thing is. Um, but I believe that, you know, yeah, you know, God is at work in and through technology. Um, and so we can't just say no technology ever, ever and turn around and just stick our heads in the sand like that. That's not going to work. God is clearly at work through this industry and through what comes out of it. Um, so for me, I want to make sure that, you know, when I want to make sure that we have a voice in kind of helping fellow Christians to uh, whether or not they're in the technology industry or if they're just consumers of technology, just in quotes, because that's a very big part of it's why the tech, part. it's why the technology industry can be as big as it is. It's mm-hmm. because of the consumer, right? So to me, I want to make sure that we have uh, another perspective on how we approach this technology, not just because it's so cool, not just because it's the latest thing, but yeah, that we can kind of think critically, how do we actually use this in a way that would glorify God? Does this actually glorify God? Uh, what are the pitfalls of this technology? What are the really good things that come out of it? And how can we make sure that um, the way that we use it is towards the good and not the bad? Mm-hmm. That's a great point. And I think that one, one unique thing, I think, for us as Christians um, that may not exist as much in a purely market-driven world uh, is that we believe in a holistic community, mm-hmm. that the body of Christ includes people from every language, People with disabilities includes people across generations. So the older generations that are less tech literate are as much a part of the body of Christ as much as the babies that are going to come to believe in Jesus and are digital natives with a smartphone in their hands mm-hmm. at birth, um, as well as our millennial squeezed in between generation. And and so because of that holistic view, we're not trying to just ditch anybody or take advantage of anybody. Like we want this to be something that actually benefits the whole, mm-hmm. the whole body of Christ and includes the whole body of Christ. And I think with a market-driven view, you end up oftentimes just, you talk to use the language of early adopter, mainstream, laggard, those mm-hmm. kinds of terms. You oftentimes just ignore the laggards. Or if you pursue them, it's because there's a great opportunity there. So I'm going to be cynical in how I say this. It's not purely cynical. But with a lot of the boomer generation, um, the younger generation is saying this phrase called, okay, boomer, mm-hmm. just to kind of like kind of shut up people who are older than them who don't really understand that you just don't want to reply to. Like, okay, boomer. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's happening. And we wouldn't want that to happen on this podcast, basically, mm-hmm. even though there are things that could be annoying and frustrating about that. And then another cynical view is like there's a booming kind of industry for um, adult family care, like to take care of aging adults who have like the boomer generation that has a lot of money right mm. now. And they're retiring and they need people to take care of them. And so the market forces will drive people to create businesses to serve that need. And I think that that's an example where, okay, you might do that, but they're still segregated. It's not, it's not pushing for some sort of integration where young and old are together, which is maybe more of a theologically informed value, mm. right? That you're not simply trying to outsource the care 
but what can we do to integrate, continue to integrate people in, in our societies together? Is there a way to do that, right? Because of a value that you have, that God's kingdom is that way. Mm. So those are some ways that I, I can I can see that we can have a unique take on what we're talking about. We're not just talking about the ethics of technology. Right. Um, we're aiming for a holistic vision, actually, of God's kingdom that can be expressed through technology, through our use of it mm-hmm. together. So... But I love what you said, and I'm very, very grateful that you're on the podcast and that you're going to be a co-host with me, I think, for some episodes. Well, I, I don't know. We'll see. And thank you, listeners, for hearing our conversation. I hope it was edifying for you and that uh, you're going to give us your ideas, your feedback, any kinds of topics that you believe we need to address, that uh, questions that you have, you can you can share it with us. We do love uh, our patrons. Uh, the on Patreon this for this year's podcast we are actually trying to hit a goal of 80 patrons at $5 a month and so if you want to see this vision of this podcast come true you can make it possible with us together we're going to make this our thing it's not just like Chris and Natasha's thing it's our thing so for our patrons uh, we actually accept feedback ideas comments we solicit input all the time for what can be on the show and then we actually try to find guests who might answer those questions or we talk about it ourselves and uh, we'd love to be able to have your patronage you can do that at patreon.com slash theotech um but either way we're very glad that you're a listener thank you for joining us and we look forward to having you again on the theotech podcast